don't know about you, I use, uh, I go on uh, YouTube a lot. I watch a lot of woodworking videos, and every once in a while I see a video that just pops in front of me here, and this was a, a familiar, I won't mention his name, preacher, that you would know his name, and so I clicked play. And one of the first things that came out of this guy's mouth was this, there are three things that everyone must do in order to be saved. And I clicked stop. It reminded me of a story I had heard about Dr. Harry Ironside, not the lawyer guy on TV when everything was black and white. This is a different guy. <laughs> you ought to look him up. There's a story told about him visiting a Sunday school at a church when he was on vacation. And uh, the, the teacher there at the Sunday school had asked the class, how are people saved in the Old Testament? Well, one enthusiastic student, you know, raised his hand quick and said, by keeping the law. Dr. Ironside interrupted and said, my Bible says that by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. Well, the teacher went, okay, um, does anybody else know? And another enthusiastic student jumped out of their seat and said, well, by sacrifices. They, were, they, they made those sacrifices to God. And the teacher said, that's, that's it, that's right. But Dr. Ironside said, well... My Bible says that by the blood of bulls and goats that cannot take away sin. It isn't by sacrifice. It isn't by law. So by this time, the teacher looked at uh, Dr. Ironside and says, well, how were they saved? And that is the answer that we are going to have here, my friends, in Romans chapter 4. And I'll tell you what. It ain't any different than you and me. It isn't in any difference than you and I. How is anyone saved? Have you ever thought about this before? How can a holy, righteous God, who is perfect, without sin, not a single shadow hiding anything in his existence, how can he forgive wicked sinners? We did that little illustration last week, you may recall, with Jesus on one end and Satan on the other, and we're a whole lot closer to Satan than we are Jesus in holiness. How does a holy God forgive wicked sinners? Well, let's take a look at Romans chapter 4 and find out. And what we're going to see here, my friends, are some very important truths laid out. And what the Apostle Paul is going to do is he's going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis and pull out a character we are all familiar with and use him as a case study. You want to know how we're saved? Well, let's go back to the beginning, the foundation of this nation of Israel. We all know about the Abrahamic covenant where God made a covenant with Abraham. It was, it was not a contract where two parties offer something, God simply said, this is what I'm going to do. And he said he was going to make him a nation. Remember that? There's a few other things. You get to Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to see a verse pulled out and stretched out for us to take a look at this morning. 
But there are a number of things that we're going to learn as we look back here, and Paul's going to lay it out for us. And the first is this. We are justified by faith, not works. We are justified by faith, not works. Now, there's that word justified, dollar and a half word that nobody really knows. What it means, my friends, is that God declares us righteous. And you remember the heart of the word righteous is to stay on the line, going straight, not to the right or to the left. And what is the path? It is the the will of God, the word of God, the law of God. And what is that law? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And your neighbor is yourself. And the Lord said, the sum of all of these things is this. And how do we love him? Well, we don't worship idols. We don't steal. We don't hate people. We don't lie and cheat. And there's all sorts of forms of that that go on in this world, my friends. But righteousness is to stay straight. And the fact of the matter is, there isn't a person on this planet that has not sinned. All have sinned, verse 3, and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. So we are justified by faith. We can't be justified by our works, my friends. Our works condemn us. Go ahead, take a look at my life, unpack it, know what you see? Sin. Same as you, same as me. We are all sinners. So we're justified by faith, not works. Take a look, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? That phraseology is uh, typical with Paul, particularly here in Romans when he begins a new subject. What then shall we say about this? And notice verse 2. For Abraham was just, if, I'm sorry, for if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. You see, if justification, again, being declared righteous, we're not talking about practical righteousness here. We're not saying that God looks back and said, yeah, you did it, you're right, you're perfect. What he's doing is declaring us righteous, and we know it's based on the sacrifice of Christ. So if justification was by our works, we could boast about it. And that misses the whole point because all of this is for the glory of God. And so justification is by faith, not works. We have nothing of which to boast about. Nobody can sit back and say, you know, I'm one of the smart ones. I determined to throw back my sin and put my trust in Jesus. Friends, it was even God who brought you there, convicted of your sin, you are of your sin and of righteousness, the right thing to do. You were convinced of these things by the Spirit of God, even given the faith to believe. So justification, if it was by works, we could all boast about it, but we cannot. And justification by works is contrary to Scripture. I mean, the Bible teaches the issue is not works but faith. Take a look at verse 3. For what does the scripture say? And here he points to Genesis 15 and verse 6. 
Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. There it is. Now here we are introduced to this word counted. Now you and I know what counting is. But the Greek word behind this, legizomai, is a word that means to put into one's account. It is a banking term. And this same word is used 11 times in this chapter. Feel free to count them. But what we're talking about here is the righteousness of Christ is put into your account. It is counted. Your faith, when you trust God, Jesus' righteousness is placed in your account. Imagine that. You want to know how you're saved, my friends? Responding to the grace of God with faith. And God sees that faith and places the righteousness of Christ in your account and declares you righteous. Just by show of hand, how many of us deserve that? There ain't a one of us. By our works, we deserve hell. That's what we deserve. That's what we have worked for. That's what we have, our, our owed is hell. So having explained why justification is not by works, he explains how God can justify sinners. Imagine that, God justifying the wicked. Look at verse 4. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but are due. That makes sense, right? Well, look what I've done for you, God. You know what you owe me for that? Imagine such arrogance. This, of course, is nonsense. Because what is owed to us, as we know, is hell. The wages of sin is death. What is death? Death is not just physical, it's spiritual. Separation from God for all eternity. Wages of sin is death. So if works count as righteousness, salvation is then owed to us by God. You imagine God being a debtor to people like us. Unimaginable. But what we find here, my friends, and you will note carefully verse 5, where Paul makes it clear that faith is counted as righteousness. In the currency of heaven, faith matters. In the economy of God, faith, anything less than faith, my friend, is bankruptcy. Notice carefully verse 5. And the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Faith equals righteousness. Faith is counted as righteousness. It is, the, you know why we talk about faith? Because it is the only thing that matters to God. <laughs> that we trust in him. He who is insurmountably trustworthy ought to be trusted 
When he speaks, his words ought to be trusted. Regardless of whether or not we understand it or not. It's like a math book. You get it at the beginning of the semester. You start looking through that. And you're like, I haven't got a clue what any of this means. And frankly, that's the way it's, you know, I start my week of study that way. Well, here's this passage. Can't wait to find out what it really means. And it takes the work. And you get there and you say, huh, amazing. You don't have to understand it to trust in the God who said it. But you ought to seek to understand it. Particularly if God said it to you. And so in the economy of God, faith equals righteousness. You and I cannot be perfect. All of us fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. What hope have we? God has made a way. In his great grace, he sacrificed his son. This very truth, as a matter of fact, was stated by King David in Psalm 51. Notice in verses 6 to 8, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. The Lord does not count his sin. Yeah, that's a blessing, my friends. So we are justified by faith, not works. If you were to stand at the gate of heaven and the great apostle Peter were to ask you, why should I let you in? My friends, if you pull out a list of paper and say, well, in second grade, I shared my cupcake with Susie, you know, and just go on the list, you will fall short because there is yet another list of every thought in every action you ever took that was rebellion against God. We are justified by our faith, my friends, and not by works. But when we get down here to verse 9, it may be verse 9. It's hard for me to read from here. <laughs> but you'll find it if it's not. We are justified by grace, not law. We are justified by God's grace, without the grace of God. And let's remind ourselves what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. Think of it. All of the good that God has bestowed upon us in our life, starting with the very forgiveness of our sin, the hope of heaven, the power in this life to live well, to love well, so many more joy and peace and character we're justified by God's grace not by laws notice again is this blessing then only for the circumcised now what uh, Paul is talking about here is the Jews Jew was circumcised on the eighth day they became sons of the law so to speak 
and their pride in that. And there is there's such a, you know, pride is so quick to jump in. It is one thing to say, oh my goodness, I am so blessed to be a part of this community in which God has to become the point of, well, I'm a part of this community and you're not. As if there was anything you could do to get you there. But the Jews had this attitude, and Paul had already dealt with it, I think, in chapter 2. And here he picks it up again. Their thought was this, I am a Jew, I am of the people of God, of the, the people of covenant with God. God made promises. So I have to be saved. No matter what I do, I'm good, I'm a Jew. And what Paul is saying here, my friends, is that ain't going to do it. Is the blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? <laughs> was it before or after he had been circumcised? So here's a point. Well, yeah, of course he was saved because he was, well, wait a minute here. Paul says, this was before he was circumcised. It was not after, but before he was circumcised that he was declared righteous because of his faith. Are we following this, friends? Because this is critical, critical truth. This is the most important thing that answers the question, how can we be saved? How can we be rescued from eternal hell? What is it we can do? And the answer is nothing. It is what Christ has done and how we respond to it. Circumcision, my friends, was a sign that their faith had made them righteous. That was the point of circumcision. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. While, it was, while he was still uncircumcised. And the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Now what he's explaining here, my friends, is this. God made a covenant with Abraham. He declared him to be righteous before he was circumcised, before he ever became a Jew, so to speak. Why? That God might save the Jews and the Gentiles. And notice Paul's argument as we continue here. Because it was done this way so that he would be heir of the world through faith. Now you know this covenant and you know it well. God made a covenant with Abraham, said, this is what I'm going to do in you and through you. I am going to make of you the father of many nations, plural. I'm going to make of you a nation, and I'm going to bless that nation. And anyone that blesses that nation, I will bless. And anyone that curses that nation, I will curse. But through you. I will bring blessing to the whole world, even from the very beginning. It ain't just the Jews. Particularly special relationship with God? Absolutely. 
I mean, theirs, they were given the law. They were given the temple, the holy of holies, for heaven's sakes. They were sent the prophets one after another. But God sent them to the Gentiles as well. Special relationship. But they ain't the only ones that God loves. You see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever works really hard and tries and has a good attitude about stuff, not what it says, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The currency of heaven is faith. Faith is what counts, my friends. And it was done this way, that he would be the heir of the world for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Law didn't exist in Genesis chapter 12 and 15, did it? Got to get to Exodus for that. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Just keep doing the law. Yeah. For the law brings wrath. That's the problem. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. Let's unpack that for a second. There is not a policeman in the world can pull you over for running a stop sign if there's no stop sign. Right? That makes sense, right? There's no law there. There's no law about stopping or going or going too fast. There's no law broken. But the moment a law is created, and people become lawbreakers. Yeah. So it's not based on the law. It's not. So that, poor, that, that Abraham would be the heir the world. And that's what he says here in verse 16. Notice carefully here. He says, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may be resting on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only the inherent adherence of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. And in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. My friends, we are justified, not, we are justified by faith and not works. And we are justified by grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Why did God determine to save anyone? The great flood, chapter 6 through 9 in Genesis. Every intent of the heart of man was only evil continually. And God determined to flood the world. But he saved six people. Why? Why did he save his family? Grace. It's grace. Unmerited favor. Were they righteous? Were they particularly? Well, Noah was. What about his family? Grace. Grace. What about you? Grace. 
We are dependent upon grace. That is why we sing amazing grace, because we don't deserve it. We do not. So we are justified by grace, not law. And notice here, as we continue in verse 8, we are justified by resurrection power and not human effort. Again, the law says, I did it, I did it. But grace says, God did it. And who gets the glory? God does it. Who deserves it? You will notice here in verse 18, Paul again referencing Abraham in hope. He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be compared to the sand of the seashores and the stars of heaven. You ever get out to look for the stars? The other night, I saw it all. It was the clearest of skies. I not only saw Orion's belt, I saw his sword, his shoulder, his pants, his socks. I mean, I, I, mean, I saw it all clear night so shall your descendants be he believed the promise and he believed it despite what he saw you see God made a promise to a man a covenant that he would have just oodles and oodles and noodles of kids but there was this problem first he was really old and they had tried and Sarah, Sarah was barren. She didn't have any kids. She couldn't have any kids. So Abraham thought, well, should I be looking at my neighbor's wife? No. No. That makes me sleepy. What is that? <laughs> Anybody smell baby powder? <laughs> So he believed despite what he saw, my friends. He did not weaken in faith, verse 19, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Saren's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And that is what you do when you trust him. You give glory to God. You shout out to the world, God is to be trusted. He is trustworthy. Hear his words and believe. And fully convinced, verse 21, that God was able to do what he promised. And that is why his faith was counted as righteousness. He believed that God was able to do what he promised. And that's what faith is. Faith is not give me some more information on it. I want to see it. I want to feel it. I want to hold it in my hand. I'm not trusting Christ till I see the pearly gates, till I. That ain't faith, my friends. Faith is dependence upon God's word. He said it, and we believe it. We accept it as true, and we live in light of it. That's why faith always shows itself. 
Because you can't believe something without living it out. It changes us. And finally, my friends, what is true about Abraham is true about us. Look at verse uh, 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for our sake, Paul says. For you people reading it right now and hearing it, it was written for you. But for our sake also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord. You see, God justifies the ungodly by faith. Faith in the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And then notice here in verse 25. Before we do, the gospel by which we are saved is Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead. Now, I grew up hearing the gospel is Jesus died for our sin. Jesus died for our sin, and that was the gospel. But that ain't the gospel, my friends. The gospel is Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead. Why? Why does it matter? Look at verse 25. He raised Jesus from the dead who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He died for our sin was raised that we would be declared righteous. How? Faith. Dependence upon. That's what faith is. Dependence upon. <laughs> Trust. Dependence. You are a very good sport, Tammy. Thank you. <laughs> So my friends, let's wrap it up. God justifies sinners who put their faith in him. Trust, dependence. They're all the same thing, my friends. Faith. So here's the question. Are you trusting in Christ right now? Are you trusting in him? No plan B. You see that little illustration, you want to put your foot back. I don't, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I kind of trust you, but you got to get rid of this backup plan. There's no plan B in faith. Christ is enough or he is not. It's not a quiz that gets you into heaven. I know the right answer. It is responding in faith. And faith always shows itself. It always makes itself known. We are saved by faith, my friends. But faith that shows itself is what we do. We are not saved by works, but by faith that shows itself in what we do. And so you just ask yourself, am I really trusting? I mean, how do I know? Do I get a t-shirt? No. I'll tell you this, the people around you should know. Not because of your talk, but because of your walk. It may show up in your talk, and friends, I hope it does. There ought to be something different about you if you're trusting in Christ. Because the moment you trust in Christ, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God who empowers you to do the will of God and shapes you to the character of Christ. There ought to be a difference.
So friends, if you're not trusting in Christ right now, I beg you, please. It's not about saying a prayer. There's no special code that gets you into heaven and say the right words and poof. It is, I'm trusting in him and him alone and live it out. Now listen to me. You hear me go on and on about this all of the time and I will never stop. You know who Penn and Teller are? Comedian, magicians. This Penn, Gillette, was talking to this evangelical and he said I just have a question for I'm not going to try and get you you know and try and ask you the question about he says why not why not I mean how much do you have to hate somebody to know that they will spend an eternity in hell agony and pain crying out to no hope how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them about Jesus? It ain't three things you need to do, my friends. It's you trust in Christ. You believe him and what he says and you act on it. How much do you have to hate someone, he said, to know what you know and keep it to yourself. Father, help us. Father, we celebrate what this, this great salvation, this great act of grace. It doesn't compel us to climb the highest mountain, or dig the deepest hole, or give the greatest amount of money, but simply trust in you. Thank you, God, for this great salvation. Help us to live it out, God. Give us the courage and the obedience and, yes, even the love to tell someone else. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.